Let's go ahead and stand and read the word of God together. We're going to be in Ephesians 6, uh, 16 through 17. Um, so if we can do that, uh, let's go. I'm tra- I got an unclear thing here. Do you know how to clarify that? It's like fuzzy. Um, but let's go ahead and let's go ahead and read God's word together. Count of three. One, two, three. short passages, huh? <laughs> Doesn't mean it's going to be a 20 minute sermon, but it's a short passage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. All right, so let's go. Our spiritual tattoo, what we're going to be today, you want to zoom in on is our capacity to endure in the battle is rooted in God's faithfulness. We're going to take this beyond cliche, but it's important to know and remember that our capacity to endure in the battle is rooted in God's faithfulness. Father, thank you, Lord God. As the psalm says, great is your faithfulness, Lord. Oh, God, our Father. Lord, it's this concept of morning by morning, the new mercies that we get to see is evidence of your faithfulness in a very, very broken world that you entered into, uh, took on a human suit as we've been reflecting on, took on an additional nature to your, to your deity, Lord God, and you did what no man could do because you're not just a man. Though you're 100% man, you are 100% God, Lord. There is a perfection in who you are, grace and truth embodied in one person in such a way where we could not do outside of you. And so, God, we stand here humbled by the fact that we are in need of your faithfulness to endure in this battle. And so, God, get us battle ready. Get us battle ready. Lord, break the stats that makes people say L.A. is the graveyard for church planting. Break the stats that even mentors that are pastors of megachurches in the city tell me endure in there because this is a hard city to pastor in and to plant churches. Lord, break those things so that we can see uh, a revival in such a way that begins in our heart. And so God, do a work in us. All we can do is to learn to steward this gospel and entrust everything to you. And so towards that end, oh great king, make your word plain by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've been looking at, uh, we've been seeing in the book of Ephesians as we get into this Overcomer series and been trekking through it. Seeing that the victory in the battle is rooted in the person and work of Jesus as our Messiah. Okay? Now, let me, let me show. I will often read. I was talking with some of the sisters, and it made sense. I'm like, how oh, let me clarify this. Sometimes I will refer to Jesus as Yeshua Mashiach. Y'all know why I say that? You know what that means? Okay, let me break that down because it's also important. I'm bringing that up for a reason. Um, is Yeshua Mashiach is the Hebrew word. Uh, the Hebrew name of Jesus Christ, okay? So Yeshua is Jesus, Meshiach is Messiah. The reason I bring that up and we'll throw that in there is because I was walking around uh, the mall and the streets the other day, just prayer walking, ran into a dude. We started talking, talked and walked. He's just chilling on the block. So we just talked and walked for about an hour. And the thing is, and I've heard this over and over and over, is that people will look and say, I'll talk with him and we'll get talk about Jesus. And he has like an affinity towards God and towards Jesus. But I said, I flipped it as I was observing some things. And I said, yeah, I started referring to him as Yeshua 
or Yeshua Mashiach, and he looked at me, he said, thank you for doing that. Because that English thing, Jesus, show me where there's a translation from a Y to a J. So the fact is, for him saying Jesus, he'd listen, but it was a stumbling block. And there's a lot of that within some of the conscious community. If you walk the blocks, and I'm going to encourage that in 2020 to start hearing stories. Come alongside and listening, talking with people, hearing what's going on, because you'll find out that there are stumbling blocks. And one of those is knowing that sometimes when we say Jesus, we know what we mean in English. But for those who may not know him, right, they've heard what Jesus means because of our history. And sometimes you've got to enter like you need to do with, with Muslims. I'm going to call Jesus Isa. And I'm going to redeem and show who he really is, right? So there's a sense, that's why sometimes I'll throw that out there in the event that someone comes in. Like we've had some cats that have dabbled into the conscious stuff, and so I'll throw that out. But does that make sense now? So when, when we want to learn and grow, just, so when I throw that out there, or as we're learning how do we engage and learn and grow and develop, there's different things that we want to engage. So now you know, when I say Yeshua Mashiach, who, who am I referring to? Jesus Christ, all right? Well, I'm not talking about some other kind of craziness, all right? So... Just to, just to do that. So, but here's the thing. So Jesus, or Yeshua, he wears the armor, the one through whom the nations can belong to God as one new people. Remember, the nations were given over to these, these uh, territorial spirits that led the nations astray. As I review kind of Psalm 82 and Deuteronomy uh, 32, right? Uh, there, there's a sense they led the nations astray. God gave them to, the, na to the, the, the nations to be over these spirits, these territorial spirits. They tried to be like God and led the nations astray. So the psalmist sits back and says, God, the nations belong to you. There's oppression, there's injustice, because the nations have been led astray, and the flesh of humanity has been enticed and tempted and given into so many of these things that were leading them astray. And so we see here that Yeshua, or Jesus, is the one through whom God is bringing the nations back to be his people. Amen? So then he goes, but then he says here, he's creating a one new people. Like I've used the illustration of you had an old car and it's like Tesla comes on the, 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 uh, the picture and you're like, what is that? Does that make sense? I want you all to get that picture. Like what he's saying in Jew and Gentile coming together as one new man through Jesus Christ. They're like, what is that? Like people should walk into Epiphany and be like, what is that? Who are those people? Like, they're, they're from all different walks of life, from different backgrounds, and yet somehow, and then we say Yeshua or Jesus, right? And so there's a sense of where he brings these one new people, but he's teaching them how to fight the battle in Christ's strength as a new community. So he's saying, here's Yeshua Mashiach, here's Jesus Christ, he's got all the armor, in him, you're a new people, and in him, you have the capacity to put on every piece of armor that he's provided, so you have a strength from him in his armor, not your own self-made armor. Make sense? It's rooted in review. It's rooted in dependence upon the Lord. Okay? And so that's what we have. So he starts and he says, so he's teaching them. He says, so he says, review about belt of truth. He says, throw on, strap on the belt of truth. Right? Remember, belt of truth is four elements in truth. What are those four elements? Christ, his word, spirit, church. If we're not interacting and engaging those four, we've distorted the truth. Something's missing of the truth. And we're prone to be attacked and the armor is going to be misplaced. 
So he starts with the belt of truth that gives a sense of internal security. Then he says the breastplate of righteousness, as we've sung today. As Fatima was saying, we had, in Hunja, we have, we have no righteousness in and of ourselves. We have no ability, but Christ, who gives us a righteousness based on his death and resurrection, by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, we now have righteousness. But it's in him. It's in him, right? And then he says, now lace up the shoes of peace. So we talked about last week. Lace up the shoes of peace. That means you could be in the most difficult situation of life. And somehow, God will give you a sense of peace as you press into him. And it doesn't make sense. It's the peace Jesus says, peace I leave with you. The world can't touch this. So he's always trying to grow us and teach us every day, lace up with the shoes of peace. Oh, take off the training wheel. Remember we talked about last night? Take them off like you're depending on this for your peace, and I'm showing you what it is for what it is. It's not going to give you peace, so stop trying to run back to it, but press into me, and then you get a newfound sense of the peace of God that passes all understanding, and you realize it really does pass all understanding because according to your understanding, you needed this thing before to actually give you peace. Make sense? And so God is growing. He says, put on the shoes of faith. Now he comes down to where we are today. Now he gets into the shield of faith. Y'all ready for the shield of faith? This one is crazy. Okay, so he says, in every situation, take up what? The shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Look what he says. So he says the, the shield of faith. So let's look at what is the shield of faith? You can, you, as we've talked about, you imagine him saying, okay, all that I need armor-wise is already in the Messiah. He's already victorious, so I just need to rely on his strength, be in him, and then pull what he provides. And Paul's saying, so how do I make it practical to explain why they need the shield of faith that the Messiah wears? So he looks at a centurion guard, and he looks at the, the way they fight battle, and he says, oh, the shield of faith. It's practical. Let me break it down and help them understand why they need this. So the shield of faith that he's looking at in those days with the military, it's, here's what it is. It's referring not to a Captain America small round shield. Right? We, that, that's, that's our popular version of shield is the round shield that doesn't cover your whole body. Rather, this shield is up to at least four feet tall and it's designed to cover your whole body. Why would you need a shield designed to cover your whole body in military feats. And here's the interesting thing about these arrows. These arrows are seven feet tall. <laughs> I can barely reach. I, I measured last night. I'm like, how long? I think I could reach seven feet. Think about an arrow coming at you that's th that is this tall, and it's, it, the, the, the arrow tip is two feet long. <laughs> that's coming at you. So he's saying, look, you better get your shield right. You need to be fully protected because this is coming at you. And not only is it a seven-foot, two-foot tipped arrow, it's flaming with fire. So imagine you're linked up together, shields like this, and you hear this, Psh. but but that's a small arrow making that Psh. Imagine what that big one go, sounds like. My side effect editors, Anton, how do you think that would sound? <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy, right? Whoosh. And then the whoosh. And then you, you hear it, and you feel the heat of a fire coming at you. Okay, this, this is what's coming at you. Captain America's size shield doesn't work. 
So you better line up with that shield. And so he's saying, look, look, it, it's, it's necessary to have the type of shield that he's talking about. Why? Because the arrows were designed to intimidate you with visual strength and noise to cause fear. But they're also there to prompt chaos among the camp. Sit there, you're, like, you're, 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 with, you're with the road dog, like someone's right next to you, right? And you're in the trench and you're like this. And all of a sudden, people are all here. And then you hear this whoosh, fire, bam, bang. And, and, and you're like, how do I maintain my composure? It's hitting left and right. And you're like trying to encourage one another. Hold, hold, stay still, hold the line. Because the enemy's coming. He's trying to get you off your game to cause chaos. Because if he can cause chaos, you can't hear each other. You can't hear your commander. You lose sight of what you need to be doing. He's trying to cause chaos. And then not only chaos, but he's ultimately trying to break the defensive line to hinder forward advancement and expose vulnerable areas. This is what he's doing. In other words, the purpose of the arrows was to get the soldiers to drop the shield... Make up our own object of faith and scatter. That's retreat. So he's trying to, and if you can get vulnerabilities and have the shield to move, you can't advance. You're trying to maintain defensiveness. And so the enemy's deceived us to thinking that the, the, the gates of hell don't just defend, but they advance. But they don't advance. But if you can deceive you with this bark, with these arrows, then it feels like we need to retreat. And when we fear, we need, it's usually based in that fear. And it's, you see him for more, uh, greater than who he really is because he's caused chaos in the camp and we've lost sight of the supreme leader, the Lord Yeshua Mashiach. You see what he does? They, the, these, he says, this is why you need these shields to, to get you because here's how the enemy tends to work. Look, look, at, look at 1 Peter 5, 8. How many of y'all remember that thing? That was a memory verse, y'all. See? See, y'all, this is part of the word of God that we got to memorize. All right. Um, five, and then look at this. He says, be sober-minded and be alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, is roaring. He's prowling like a roaring lion looking for someone he can devour. That's interesting. He's looking for someone he can devour. In other words, he can't devour everyone. He's looking for someone that he can devour. So there's, there is a place, there is a vulnerability that he tries to get the people of God to so that he can pounce on them. Okay? It's like National Geographic. He always pounces on those that are off like la-la land, drinking the water. The whole herd is over here. They're just like, I'm cool, I'm chilling, this is great. And the lion gets them. Right? And so he says, he says those who he can devour. He can devour those who get outside because you're left vulnerable to his attacks. If you're a believer, like Hunza said, he's, Jesus is going to bring you through. But he's giving this imagery to say that enemy is like that. He's coming with these arrows to intimidate, to deceive, and get you into a place where you're outside of functional provision and protection. Okay? And so it, it, he comes and he'll come with things like the four D's. Anybody remember the four D's, that how the enemy gets into some of these books? One was discouragement, deception, 
difficulty? Distorted power. Good. He's going to come in, right? You've got to remember those four Ds because every book from Ephesians, <laughs> Ephesians to James to Ephesians. Uh, I said Ephesians. Ephesians, James, 1 Peter, and Matthew chapter 4. You can get to, to uh, uh, Zechariah chapter 3 as well for that. But those ones deal with to say be aware of those four Ds because the enemy is coming to distort and to use those kind of de de devices to get us away. All right? And so he says, so here's the thing. We're, when the enemy comes at us, here's the thing. It is in those moments when you feel like faith isn't working. Right? It's coming hard. It's, it's, it's not pragmatic enough. It, it doesn't make it plain enough in a sense I understand fully what, what, what it is and what it's supposed to be. I'm kind of I'm unclear on some things. And, and it keeps, they keep coming. And, and, and so we're tempted. I need to just throw down the shield. In other words, hey, we're like this and we're saying, I can't see them. I can't see them. I know they're coming, but I just don't know how this is going to last. What if it catches the shield on fire and it burns the shield? Then I'll need to throw the shield aside. I can't see. Hold the line. I can't see. It's too loud. Hold the line. The shields have a purpose. I can't see. What do you do? The pressure in life kicks up so much from these assaults that you throw the shield down to see what's happening. But when you look and see what's happening, what happens to you? Arrow decapitated this is what the temptation is the enemy's trying to get at like too much so if i could just get you to say i don't need the shield right now let me function according to my own understanding i i i i, I don't understand it i can't see it god it's too intense let me throw it down and for the present moment Going on in our own understanding actually seems like a good answer, doesn't it? She's like, oh my gosh, I can see the war now. Right? And all of a sudden, that's right. And I've seen the war. What happens is we end up losing the battle. Right? We have one that already won the war, and he's given us what we need in the battle, but we're like, I don't know if his way is going to be enough. I, I, maybe I just need to do something according to my own understanding until, and, it, and for a while it looks good until. The outcome hits you like a ton of bricks. Look at this. Look at what he says. Look at Israel, for instance. The Lord delivered them from Egypt with a mighty hand. They didn't see what they wanted to see, so they complained so that they could see according to their own understanding. They didn't see what they could see, so they ended up complaining until they could see according to their understanding. Okay, The Lord took too long to give Moses the commands in their understanding. So when they didn't see it happening, they created a calf to see according to their understanding. The Lord would provide for them on the Sabbath, but when they didn't see it happening, they disobeyed so that they could see according to their understanding. Are you catching the drift? This is just with the people of Israel for some of the stories. They saw the works of God, but when the pressure kicked up in their process of growing and learning from the Lord, they went back to their own sight and understanding. Seeing around faith led to judgment and the inability to enter the promised land. When we, when we slip from faith, it never ends up well, does it? The problem is, in their understanding of faith, they lost sight of the proper object of their faith when the pressure kicked up they lost proper uh, uh, perspective 
of who their object of faith is. It's kind of like um, uh, going into an airplane, right? When I step into an airplane, without even knowing it, I'm basically placing my faith in the hands of the pilot to, to say, I'm assuming you've done your work, right? You've flown, you're credible, I don't even think about it anymore, right? Like, I, I step into a plane, and that's what I'm saying. I know that somehow you checked every system, and you know what you're supposed to check, right? In fact, sometimes I'll be praying, like, God, give them. People, like, get, oh, man, when it's delayed, but I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you found it. You know what I'm saying? Like, but, but you, you walk in, and you're assuming that. Here's the thing. You get on the flight. You're flying up, and you're getting your little nap on, and you rest for those who can rest in a plane. For those who want to talk, you're talking with someone, right? Working on your computer, reading. You're kind of chilling, listening to, the, listening to music, watching a movie. If they've got those new movie screens, which I love on the back of the, uh, the seats. So, you, so you're doing all that, right? Here's the thing about this. That, and then here's what happens. You're going, and it's smooth, and it goes, <laughs> Yeah, well, what's just happening right now, right? Like, like, so you have a drop in altitude, and it's sudden. Everyone's like, oh, right? And then, and then the plane's going, and you're hitting turbulence. And, and before I know it, after, after all this turbulence and this shaking and all this stuff, and I'm by myself, and I'm thinking about my wife and the kids, I'm like, oh, God, what is going to happen? Like, is our will clear? Are the kids going to be okay? Like, you start going, right? Like, you go into fear mode, and I'm anxious, and I'm like, what the heck is going on here, right? And so as you're going through that, I'm tripping, and I'm, I'm anxious, and I'm about, to, I'm about to make some decisions about, like, writing letters to the kids, and, like, I hope this gets to them, and, right, you're going all this kind of stuff, and here's the thing, then the pilot comes over the phone, or over the intercom, and he says, with a, a calming voice, sorry, we're, we're experiencing some slight turbulence right now, right? I'm like, slight, right? But... With some slight turbulence, and he begins to talk and basically assure me that this is nothing new. I've been through this before, the pilot indicates. I know how to navigate through this. We're going to go up to some different altitude just to find some smooth air. And, and as he's speaking, and I hear his voice, an experienced voice that's done it before, I begin to find peace. Maybe we're okay. So I think the question is, where's the turbulence in your life right now? What arrows are hitting hard where you're just like, you, you feel like I'm going crazy. I'm writing letters like I'm going to die. Right? Like I'm making decisions that are full of compromise and not living by faith. I'm, I'm doing all this kind of stuff. Where is the turbulence in your life right now? I guarantee if you're not in it right now, it's coming. If you're coming out of it, praise God, learn from it. But where is the turbulence? And, and, it's, and it's because of the turbulence that we need to consider the concept of the shield of faith, okay? And he says, he says faith is so important in the turbulence. Faith, faith in the right objects and hearing the voice of the right object, the Lord Jesus Christ, is so important in the midst of the turbulence. So much so that, that Paul says, don't just take up the shield of faith, but in every situation, take up the shield of faith. Did you catch that? In every single situation, like, there's no place where we can say, I don't need it, because then you're functioning in your own understanding, and you're trying to see around faith, and that never ends up well, because you're not listening to the voice of the one who knows what he's doing. He knows how to navigate this. So biblical faith, biblical faith is so essential. 
In every situation. In fact, if you look at that first Peter passage, the response to the enemy prowling around looking for someone he can devour, the response is resist him. Don't resist him firm in the faith. Not weak in the faith, firm in the faith. It comes from a resolve that says, I know that I need the shield of faith. I, 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 I need that shield of faith or else I can't withstand. So he says, firm in the faith has the image of like this. And we're going to talk about what the shield of faith, what it means to take it up. But it's, it's standing here resisting, firm in the faith. God will provide. He will come through. This is guaranteed to work, right? But it doesn't always look like the way I want it to. But God is faithful to do this. See, because faith is a necessary ingredient in the Christian's life. Scripture says, Hebrews 11, 6, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Did you catch that? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you put the shield down because we're God ought to know that's not pleasing God. And God is saying, no, no, without faith, it's impossible to please me. Then he goes on, he says in the scripture, Romans 14, if it is not done from faith, what is it? Sin. If it's not done from faith, it is sin. See, it, it, it isn't, this isn't the first time the shield of faith can be seen. Look, look, at, look at Genesis 15, 1. He sets this context for the shield of faith and why we always take it up and what it, what it means there. He says, in Genesis 15, he says to Abraham, or Abram, before his name is changed, I am your shield, your reward will be very great. So the Lord says, I am your shield. Psalm 5, 12 says, for you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a... Shield. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. Psalm 18.30 says, He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. Psalm 18.35 says, You have given me the shield of your salvation. In other words, he's saying, look, God Himself is your shield. He's your protection, and, and, and you take refuge in him, and he's your shield. Not only is he your shield and give you protection and a place where you can take refuge in the battle, but he says, I am your salvation as your shield. Okay? So he said, in other words, if I could summarize this sense of God as our shield, in this context, the shield of faith is believing that God has you covered in the gospel. Did you catch that? Oh, the, the shield of faith is believing that God has you covered in the gospel. In other words, to believe in the battle that God has you in Christ. Uh, when you know that he has you, that changes your ability to endure. Okay, let me, let me, let me, explain, let me explain here. There's something about knowing someone has you and has affirmed you that gives you the grace to endure, right? Alright, so watch this. In, in 2 Timothy 1.4, Timothy is a young pastor that's discipled by Paul, sent to Ephesus, and is pastoring in a place that has suffering, and a place where he is young and there's older people at that church. That's why he says, don't let them despise your youth, but set an example, Timothy. So he's getting discouraged in his ministry. He's getting discouraged in what God's called him to do. Why? Because he's like, man, I'm young and these people old. <laughs> right? I mean, you can get here. I'll, I'll keep it at that. 
Uh, but, then, but then he's also like, hey, all this suffering that's going on for this work. So he's getting disturbed. That's what Paul says to him. That's what Paul says, 2 Timothy 1 4. He says, Timothy, young buck, I got you on this. Therefore, sorry, that's some Philly. I got it. <laughs> Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound mind. He says, Timothy, look, I know you're disturbed. Remember the day when God had me lay hands on you as your father in the faith. Remember the day when the council of elders saw in you what God wanted to do, and he laid hands and affirmed you. Remember that day, because you've forgotten it. You let timidity get the best of you. You let all the voices and the arrows coming at you and get at you. And he says, remember what it is. I'm behind you, Timothy. It doesn't matter what happens. What is said about you, you endure and fulfill the calling that God has called you to do. There's something about... When you know that God calls you and it's affirmation, you endure with it. How much greater in the gospel? When we were broken, when we had nothing to show, the Father sends the Son. He dies a bloody death for us. He resurrects on the third day that we might place our confidence instead of the old stuff. We turn and place it in Christ alone. Once we place it in, guess what the Father says? He looks down at them and says, you are my what? Son, when he looks at Jesus, he says, You're my son in whom you are well, and in whom I'm well pleased. Did you catch that? If you're in Jesus, the Father is looking down, and you hear his voice saying, Daughter, son, you're my child in whom I'm well pleased. Can you imagine that? To hear that affirmation from your Father in heaven? When you are in Jesus, that's what he's speaking and singing over you. You're my son and daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Do you need the Father just to speak that and remind you of that this morning? Have you lost perspective of the one who is behind you? The, the one who can take this stuff and use it for his purpose. Have you, where have you lost perspective? And you, you just need to, to hear God the Father, say to you, I got you. Because I think for some of us, we're in a place, and if we're not there right now, you will be there. Okay? Or if you've been there before, and you are in between going there again, y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay? So you might say, but, but Pastor, I'm, I'm struggling with enduring faith right now. And I'm struggling understanding why it's all happening like this. Is anybody in the house on that? Okay? I'm struggling with why it's happening like this. This could be godly aspirations, and, and, and then it could be distorted aspirations. Right? And we're, we're kind of confused sometimes, and we're wondering, God, why is this not happening? And, and we're wondering, and sometimes we say, why do I feel like the more I learn to trust in God's provision and the gospel, things seem to be getting more difficult? Why, Lord, when I walk in your ways, it feels like it gets crazier. Anybody there I know? I see a lot of head shaking. That's good. That means that God is actually doing some stuff in us. He's making us aware 
Oh, there's some stuff that I want to work in your soul. And you've been lulled into spiritual apathy by excessive um, affirmations that don't deal with the reality of your brokenness. Make sense? That's why the gospel is so important. It's not just to say, I am good. I'm, no, no, no. You're good because you realize how broken you were. And you realize how good Jesus is and you couldn't hear me. Like, ah, oh, that's my righteousness. So we're always growing in the beauty of the gospel that gives us what we didn't deserve. And this is, this is where you're a good place on there. And sometimes you might be, I've been here many times where you're like, God, I believe, but help my unbelief, like the Father in Scripture. I believe, but help my unbelief. Don't ignore that. This is what I love. Notice how with these arrows, even though it may seem like the faith is not working, notice how the shield works with the arrows. What does the shield give you the capacity to do with the arrows? Extinguish them. See, when we put it up, we, the Bible says, put it, take on the shield of faith by which you might extinguish the flaming arrows. See, it's interesting that uh, it, 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 it doesn't mean that you, you won't feel the impact of the arrows. They're coming. That's why you have shields. You're going to feel the impact of these seven foot and even the swarm of arrows coming at you. You're going to feel it. But the thing that often will scare people the most is say, is my shield on fire? Can my shield withstand the flames that's coming my way? And he says, look, the shield of faith works in such where you can extinguish the flames. So while you hit the impact, the flames won't accomplish Satan's purpose. God can use the flames now to accomplish his purpose in your life. Did y'all hear that? They they get extinguished so that now, God, they won't kill you. They're not going to take your soul. If you're in Jesus, the gospel says that the enemy cannot grab you indefinitely. But God is so dope. The gospel doesn't just make you right with God in relation to one another. But the gospel says Jesus is so beast mode in the Ephesians, uh, in, in Ephesus, in the book of Ephesians, that he's the cosmic Christ. Since he's the cosmic Christ, he'll use every negative, crazy thing that the enemy tries to throw your way. He takes that flips it on his head and said, I'm going to use it to accomplish my purpose in my creation as the cosmic Christ for the, your benefit, the benefit of the church. Yeah. That's Ephesians' context. Did you catch that? Yeah. So there's nothing that oftentimes the enemy will throw things and they'll make you put the, the, the doubt in, oh God, my pastor, God, will this come to pass? It's coming so hard. And God's just trying to, to remind you and say, is remember that faith in Christ, the gospel extinguishes it for the enemy's purpose. Like he says in Joseph, remember what did Joseph said? What you intended for evil, God used for good. You see how big the gospel is? He's even going to use those things in your life as Christ followers to begin to say, hope in me, endure through it, because I'm even going to use that. Stick in the battle. Don't retreat. Why? Because if you retreat, you might miss out on some stuff, because here's the beautiful thing about this. He's not just extinguishing that and going to use it for your purpose, but watch what else it says. He's actually refining and maturing your faith. 
When all that stuff is coming in, you endure because you're like, man, I'm in the front lines. And usually when you get attacked, you know what's going on. There's about to be some breakthrough. There's about to be Jesus doing something for your growth and for the expansion of his kingdom if you just hang in there by the grace of the gospel. He's going to use it. So every time you take up the shield of faith and you're tempted to cave and to compromise and to give in. Every time you think about that, you think about this and you say, Lord, you are able to use even this for your glory. Give me endurance. Why? Because faith is being purified and refined. Every time, every moment I keep that shield up, I'm learning how faithful you are. Every time I endure through another impact coming in, a discouragement, every time I impact, I'm reminded that God somehow Faith is being purified, and it's through suffering that you are perfecting me and bringing maturation in my life. We sometimes don't get to the maturity that God wants us because we dip out too early. That's crazy. But how often do we do that? I mean, the number, and, and, and there's a lot of gray area things like this, but the number of times that we have ended up giving up in our lives. And I think there's some stuff to consider why L.A. is a graveyard for church planting. I think because in some degree we're being taught Christianity should be about us and easy. When the enemy says, oh, yeah, you think you're going to come up and you're going to start spreading the gospel? And you're going to start seeing deliverance? You start throwing hard. Bam, 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 bam. And then we're like, huh, wait, Christianity is not supposed to be like this. But that's exactly what the faith is painted in Romans. Right here, look at, look at, let me just go over for a second. Romans chapter 5. I gotta get this because I think we need to get this in our soul and in our spirit. He says it like this, watch this. Therefore, since we've been declared righteous by God, hallelujah, we talked through that in the gospel, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in grace by God's work. And we rejoice in the hope and glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions, our sufferings. Why? Because we know that affliction produces what? Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces this hope will not disappoint us. Why? Yes, by His Holy Spirit. I love it. That's what so there's a sense about there's a reforming of your character that is important to endure through the onslaught of those things. Uh, James also paints it this way. If you look at James chapter 1. Right? You're familiar with this. And if you're not, here's what it says. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Verse 3. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. And that endurance have its perfect work, full effect. So that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. Later on, Scripture talks about the purifying aspect of your faith being purified in this process. There is, a, there is in war and battle, take it up, because the more you take it up, the more God is purifying your trust in him. The more he's making you to begin to realize the gospel says that he is for me. Romans 8 says, nothing can separate me from the love of God. All these things, he goes and lists it in Romans 8. He lists all the demonic realms, spirituality, boom, boom, boom. He goes through all that stuff. He's in all that stuff can't separate you from the love of God. He says, if he didn't spare his own son, 
How much more will he richly give you everything you need to bring to pass the fullness of your salvation? You see, y'all, discipleship is a part of the fact that we say we want to be more like Jesus. If you trusted Jesus for your salvation, you automatically signed up to be made more like Jesus. If you didn't sign up for that, you didn't trust Jesus. Does that make sense? It is not a, let me pay this and get to heaven and I can do whatever I want. No, no, no. Because remember, he says, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, they're going around saying, Lord, Lord. And he says, depart from me, doer of iniquity. I never knew you. When, when the faith in, in Peter, when there's not fruit that was being cultivated over time, and we realize it's over time, sometimes it's one step at a time is in victory. And we celebrate that one step. But if there's not one step over time, Peter says, check what's going on in the soul. And God is calling us to enjoy the beauty of fellowship with him by walking with him. And so, church, that's when he gets in and saying, hang in there because he's refining your faith. I remember there's, there's one guy who, uh, he's a pastor in, um, uh, in Las Vegas, and it's in this book that I'm reading on growing pains and leadership. And, and he says, man, he got to a situation where they bought a house, I think it was for like, not a house, a church, for the, uh, building for the church. That was, I think it was like four million or something like that, or it was eight million. It's one of those that it, that it purchased it at. When it crashed in 2008, it dipped to 800,000. So they go through this long series of basically the bank, and their books were legit, but they, the bank was coming at them relentlessly. Not only did it come after the church, but he eventually got a lawyer to help kind of work through like what's going on. The lawyer's like, oh, this is easy. So he's like, Okay, maybe a, a, a chance of relief. But then what happens after he says this is easy, he goes to the bank. The lawyer goes to the bank to represent and talk through stuff. And he comes back and says, man, they're coming hard at you. They're not just going after the church. They're coming after you too. They're looking for litigation for you too. So they're coming. He's going through all this about good news and then like bad news. And then the, the Lord is like, well, wait, then we can look at this. And then, and then the Lord comes back afterwards. He says, man, we lost. You need to suggest you stop paying me right now. Like we lost. And so here's the, re the response of the pastor. This comes from refining maturity of hanging in The pastor, if I'm the pastor, I'm thinking, oh, I'm done. What do we do? The pastor says, he goes home crying, weeping to his wife. All he says is we lost. But then he says, as he prayed, he said, God, I'm hoping in you. I don't know how this is going to work out. But my hope's in you. I have nothing else. It's against all odds. I know you called me to do this. And it's against all odds. I don't know how you're going to do this. But he says in that process, it refined his pure affections for Jesus. It began to show him what this really is about in shepherding God's people to see discipleship happen. And, he, and, and, and he, as he's praying, the next thing he hears, a lawyer comes and says, man, you must believe in miracles. <laughs> because the bank said that they're willing to work with us in this now. And then he says, oh, man, we could have done this at the beginning. Why all these arrows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Why did all this have to happen? Yeah. But it refined him, and it brought out what God had been doing in him. Pure, sincere, unadulterated trust in the Lord God. When you have nothing else to lean on to. And he held up that sheet. And not only did the bank settle, but then there was a huge donor that gave him a significant amount of money. And the rest that he couldn't give, he gave to them with an the interest-free loan. <laughs> 
That's a, so that's a beautiful example of how it matures us, where it's simply like, God, everything's gone, but I'm going to hold up the shield of faith. Because yeah, yeah. the gospel says you're for me, and you're going to work this out. He wraps up real quick summary on the, goes on the helm of salvation. And here's the thing I'm going to highlight on the helm of salvation. It's just this sense of it's so essential for you to get salvation right. The only thing to guard your mind from the onslaught of the enemy is to make sure that you get salvation is what we've been talking about. Yeah. It's recognizing I got nothing to offer. It's turning from hoping in this plus Jesus, this plus going to church, this plus this equals salvation. And it's turning into I'm, I'm purely entrusting my care into your hands, Jesus. Through your death and resurrection alone am I forgiven. And through the power of your Holy Spirit poured onto me. Uh, uh, as I believe in Jesus, that's the only way I'm going to grow. If I think that salvation is a, a sheer, pure work of God, nothing I did, then you are starting on good ground to have a solid helmet to protect your mind. Here's the thing that I want to encourage us in. Um, in other words, it's like this. Taking on the helmet is to live in this salvation. It's knowing who you are in Christ. It's knowing that Christ is working for your good. Ephesians says. It's knowing that Christ is over all, above all these powers, and he's going to work it all for your good, even in the most painful, difficult times. He's going to work it. That's part of that helmet of salvation. It says, stand in who you are. Everything we talked about, the shield of faith, put on the helmet and stand in this great salvation. Moses says, when Moses is about to part the Red Sea, and he's wondering how this is going to happen, and the Lord says, stand there, and he says, he says, Joshua, like, the Lord is your salvation. He uses this word that basically means, watch the Lord is your salvation. You can't part the waters, but the Lord can. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you're in situations where you can't do it to save yourself. You can't do it to get yourself out of the situation, but stand in the salvation that God has accomplished in Christ. Be there, live there, dwell there, but don't let it just be something you understand that made you right with God in a spiritual dynamic. Because in 3 John 2, uh, 3 John 2, look what it says. He says, this is a comprehensive work in your life. This determines and instructs how you're to live your everyday life. You're not to use your life as instruments of unrighteousness anymore. Just because God made you right with him doesn't give you the freedom to do what you want. Because then you're living in the flesh and you're going to live a horrible life as someone who says I profess Jesus. But when you begin to say Jesus, when you got me, now you free me by the power of the Holy Spirit to hold that up, to know you're with me. You're going to use it. I'd rather be in your presence than anywhere else. I'd rather be in obedience in your presence in a hard place. Then in a good place outside of your presence, living it up. That's throughout the Psalms. And so he says, stand in the salvation. And I think one of the areas that the enemy has deceived us is to say, it just salvation doesn't impact your everyday life. Look at 3 John 2. He says, look, John says this to, uh, to, to the early church. Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every day and are in good health, just as your whole soul is going well. So it's going well with your soul. How's your everyday life? How's your health? Right? Do, do we allow salvation to one root us in Christ? Once we're rooted in Christ, I don't have to prove anything. Then I can be honest about all my brokenness. 
I can be honest about my addictions. I can be honest if I, if I have some mental health struggles. And I can say, you know what? I need to take some medicine. I take medicine twice a day for my kidney transplant. And my kidney's been working great for 19, almost 19 years. See what I mean? Like, like God works with one of my friends. A drunk guy says, he says, look, communion, medicine if you need it. Did that y'all catch that? Like, like, it's not, not faith. Like, listen, faith doesn't say, I don't need medicine because I'm the claim of my healing. That's not, because then your faith is in your faith. How much can I have faith to do it? Versus, no, you navigate with wisdom. God has graciously provided things for you to be honest and say, you know what, if I need to go to the doctor to get a scan for potential skin cancer or cancer, get to the doctor while you're praying. Because here's the thing. Y'all know this, like when I had my skin cancer, I went and got healed before I went to the doctor. He took a good look and gave me an opportunity through the process of biopsies and surgical preparation to realize that Jesus who healed me has authority to forgive your sin. You never know how God wants to work his greater salvation plan if we can just be honest about the broken areas of our life. That's important, especially with the amount of dynamics with health-related things that we have to be honest about. Hypertension, right? Diabetes, mental health. Uh, what else? For me, it's kidney stuff. Like, if you have high blood pressure forever, be careful because that impacts your kidney. Like, it's good to be aware of these things because I want us, by God's grace, to be honest and say, God, I, I want to steer my body where I'm going to be around as long as I can preaching this gospel and working this thing out. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I want to encourage us as part of that is being honest and say, man, where do I need some help? So we're going to be laying out even like some counselor referrals. And if you're like, man, I need counseling. Some of y'all have jumped into it. The best thing you can do when you're in a church plant is if you need some good biblical counseling, get it. Get it. Right? Because that helps fortify the comprehensive health of a church plant. Does that make sense? If you need a referral, let me know. I'm going to make sure it's a biblical counselor. <laughs> Someone who understands scripture and all truth is God's truth, and they know how to navigate that. So I, I just want to encourage us with that. Um, I remember because here's the thing about that. When, um, no, let me just keep going. I'll, I'll, I'll share a story. If you want to hear one of my stories about the, the honesty about it, um, uh, then I'll, I'll share that to you guys later. But the last one is the sword of the spirit, right? So the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, the sword, as y'all know, this is designed to be close encounters, okay? So it's about four inches uh, tall, and it's about two inches wide. So it's more like a dagger, if you would know. It's designed for precise close contact, uh, contact and combat, okay? So it is a close compact, uh, compact and combat that, that we need to be very precise in what we're doing. Here's the thing about this. It's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In other words, the spirit makes the sword powerful and effective. So you need the combination. It is the sword of the spirit because the spirit takes hold of it and makes it effective. Did you catch that? That's why in the early church they'll say, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you utterance that will be consistent with the word of God. Now, in this context, it's, it's used the rhema, okay, which is the gospel message. He's saying, look, the, the spirit early church is going to give you a, a, a utterance. He's going to give you the ability to show how Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah, is the Messiah. Then they're going to give you the ability to clearly and precisely speak the gospel in a way that hits and penetrates the heart and mind of those you're speaking to. Does that make sense? So he says, he says, look, 
take up the sword of the Spirit. Now here's the thing, in summary of this, the thing about the Holy Spirit grabs the words that are already there. Okay, I'll be okay. So, unless we download the Word of God into the apps of our phone, you can't access that app. So if you're like, I really want to do translate Japanese to English, but you don't have Google Translate, you're going to struggle. Right? I had to do that in, in Uber once. I got from the airport, and he only spoke uh, Mandarin. I, and so it, on the app, it said he spoke English and Chinese. But I'm like, you don't really speak that much English. So he pulled out. At first, he pulled out the phone, right? And he kind of went back and was like saying something. And I was like, I didn't know what he was trying to like, communicate. And so then I finally got it and said, oh, he's speaking in the app of Google to make sense of his Mandarin into me in English. Right? So later on, it's like, but if I don't doubt it, I had to download it. Because I'm like, I can't communicate with you. If I didn't download that app onto my phone, I wasn't able to communicate with it. That makes sense? So if you're, as a believer, God calls us to download the Word of God. That's why I'm giving scripture memory. Yeah. That's why I'm calling us to get into the Word of God. Spend time in the Bible. Your weapon is ineffective if you're not if, if the Holy Spirit says, look, I'm calling you to meditate on the word every single day and night. So if you're not doing that, you're not participating in the nutrients of warfare getting battle ready. So start spending time memorizing the word of God. Because when you need it, this is how it works. As you're walking, temptation comes. Boom! Holy Spirit brings up a message to speak that particular gospel word from the word into your mind at that moment for you and to speak to somebody else. Am I making sense? So God is going to say, look, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The Holy Spirit is animating this for specific moments. So you need to download some verses. If you're struggling with depression, memorize Psalm 42 and 43. If you're struggling with uh, anxiety, that's when you jump into the Philippians. Don't be anxious for anything, everything, but never do prayer and supplication. Present your request before the Lord. With Thanksgiving, and the peace of God that passes all the Memorize Peter, right? You gotta know specific verses that are the good news of the gospel, and then speak to how you apply the gospel for that moment. So you can't memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and, and well, that's a general one right there. But you can't memorize something if you're talking about, man, I'm struggling with lust. But then you're like, man, I'm struggling with fear. Don't memorize a lust passage dealing with fear. Make sense? Rightly dividing the word God. So as a church, if we're going to be battle ready and is taking up the sword of the spirit, it is literally saying, I'm going to take this authority seriously. If I can read all the stuff I gotta read in books and in blogs and 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 little uh, Instagram little clips and all that kind of stuff, if I can read that nonstop, why can't I read this? Which is the only thing that's gonna get you ready to do real close combat battle with the enemy. Therefore, experiencing battle readiness. Can we download some apps, y'all? Let's download some apps and let the Lord work this stuff into our soul. Because here's the thing. Lack of multivitamin pill. The gospel message is one message of Christ's death and resurrection that speaks to every area of our life. 
But you've got to take the multivitamin pill of the gospel so that you can begin to apply it in every area of your life. So you need to hide these specific words. Please, today, think about I want everybody to look at what is the turbulence in your life today. What's the turbulence in your life today? I need you to write that down. I need you to write it in your phone right now. Forgive me, right now. What is the turbulence in your life? Where are you tempted to throw the shield of faith down right now? Where is the enemy sucker punching you with discouragement? Where is this stuff happening? I need you to write that down and I need you to go search the scriptures. If you need a concordance, if you need help, you come talk to me. Concordance is where you have a list of things that you can look at verses on. If you need that, you come talk to me and I will get you a concordance. We will make this happen. I just need us to go search scriptures. Memorize those things. Have them on a Rolodex. Right? You can memorize books right now. Right? Um, and so, uh, like the Lockboards are memorizing Ephesians right now. I don't want to put you on blast, but I think it's a great example. Like, memorize books. Start with passages. Work your way to books. Memorize feast on the gospel of Jesus Christ as we see in the Word of God. Amen.